And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Hello, folks. My name is Timothy Harvey, and welcome to the spooky, spooky portion of our program. I am joined by Patrick Ray. And I'm just going to go ahead and switch over here. When it's, uh, there's just no way around the fact that Jason is much more comfortable with this board than I am. But I am going to go ahead and there he is. Maybe. There we go. Hello, Patrick. Hello. <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see you. It's been a long time since you and I have actually talked. Been a and, I had much shorter hair, I think, the last time you saw me. Well, and I had uh, I had more hair. I'm, uh, I'm in that wonderful <laughs> point in my life where it's starting to thin out, and it's uh, it's like genetics is, is taking over, and I'm like, oh, great. But uh, <laughs> I just got grayer and thinner, and, and you definitely got longer. There's no question. But that seems to be the way of things in the time of the pandemic as we... Stay at home all the time. I, know. Crazy. I, uh, I get to get my first jab tomorrow, so I'm looking forward to being out in the world. And uh, that is, If you can hear that, that's my cat. And my cat is making loud noises. <laughs> Goes with the horror, territory. That's a horror movie unto itself right there. If you ever tune into our, our show Saturday morning um, um, where we talk about it's pretty much all kinds of wonderful science fiction, fantasy, and horror news. Good Morning Multiverse is the name of the show. And um, they, everyone is regularly treated to my cat hopping up on the desk and my other cat <laughs> running by in the background. And they're their own special news. Um, yeah, they're just a thing that happens <laughs> all the time. Uh, but yeah, so you know, it's, this is the way of things. We're we're all used to having things pop up in the background, and of course, that goes with the horror genre. There's there's not something I, coming I up behind you. Um, I, I, it's funny because it's like my horror stuff in my house is on that side of the computer, so it's like this side looks fairly normal over mm-hmm. here. But then, like on this side, I've got a Josh Hoffine photo on the wall, and I've got a bunch of horror collectibles and such, but uh, you can't see that. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. That's all right. Now we, part of the reason we're doing this is, well, just catching up in general. This is going to be super casual, but you have a film that is out in the world and we should talk, start off at least talking about the film that is out in the world. And that is, or the most recent film that's out in the world. You've got quite a few films out in the world. And that is I Am Lisa, which, so this is weird for me because I got, I used to be really, really good at watching films made by people I know and allowing myself to be, to find that, that spot between being, enjoying the fact that it's made by people I know and yet still being the critic. I have spent too much time at home. I spent too much time away from actually making films. I had no sense of perspective on this one because it is full of people that I know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Cast and crew are all like, I, mean, I know them, I know her, I know him, I know all these people, and I've worked with a bunch of them, and it's just like, and you and I worked on films together, so it's kind of right, like, right, right. it's it's a it was really weird because I was going in and going, okay. I'm like, eh, it's, it's a werewolf picture. And it's made by people that I know. So I had a great time. That's (laughs) good. I mean, it's supposed to be a fun movie. And the thing is, like, I I, I tell people, I said, don't take it too seriously. It is 
it was it's kind of a very micro budget popcorn movie so mm -hmm. we didn't have a lot of money or time to make this film so i'm very very happy that it's doing as well as it is um so you know it's just one of those things where um we shot the movie in july of 2019 which was so we were finishing post right around the time the pandemic was really getting going um so we were lucky that we had got it in the can ahead of time and we were able to we ended up doing the premiere at the boulevard drive-in mm -hmm. uh in july of 2020 and it was we ended up having like 343 cars show up um it was just incredible and i think that because you know around that time all the film festivals were virtual and are still and they still are to some extent like there's now a little bit more hybrid mm -hmm. uh film festivals but uh we were able to premiere at fright fest in the uk which is kind of considered one of the top five horror film festivals uh in the world at this point and um we were lucky that was in august but it was 100 percent virtual and um uh yeah so we just i think we came out at a time where i mean the movie's uh primarily female cast which i think helps the has helped the film um and uh it, it isn't meant to be taken too seriously i think you just you know if you just chill out and watch it and enjoy it for what it is i think you'll you'll have a good time well and i think that uh um i think this mouse is either i think there we go all right Fun, fun with uh, moving the camera stuff around. I, I think that one of the things that I really enjoyed about it is, again, this this feeling. And part of it is, is okay, so I have not made, I think I've made one short film in the last five years, which is just miserable. Uh, and I, I cannot allow this to go on. <laughs> I got to get back into it. Um, and part of that was is the job I had for four years was basically just consumed my entire life. And the last couple of years have been um, uh, with a new job and, and, of course, the last year where we had everything seemed to grind to a halt for, for most things. And so I'm really, really anxious to get back into making it. But it was one of those things where there's, we're almost looking at a time capsule for a lot of films that have come out recently. Uh, and you're really just in the last six months or so. These are films that were made two years ago. Now we all know that, you know, there's a, always a lag time between when the film was done, shot, when production and all that sort of thing. And when it actually comes out, but we're seeing so many of these things where it's like, this is the line. This was pre pandemic and this was post pandemic. Right. Um, and then in the middle is this period where, you know, you end up with, with some really interesting micro budget stuff that has been shot virtually and, and all kinds of things like that. But there's really this sense of this was clearly made before right. because right. you can see somebody standing this far away from somebody else <laughs> no, or there's crowd, in our in the case of our movie there's crowd scenes so you're like yeah. that had to have been shot before <laughs> <laughs> and i should say that, that one of the things i did leave out is that is that um for those of you who watch our other programming you know that we're based in kansas city of course patrick is based in kansas city as well right and uh um the boulevard is a kansas city drive-in so now it was interesting because you mentioned um um you know, premiering over in the UK, Kim Newman, yeah, who is one of the great, um, it's fantastic uh, horror novelist and um, just a long-running career as a as a reviewer. You know, if Kim Newman is reviewing your film, that's not bad. No, and he actually liked it. He did. And I thanked him for liking it, <laughs> so he was like, "No problem." So um, it's actually the second movie I 
he's reviewed of mine. He reviewed um, when it was called Enclosure before they changed the title. Um, Enclosure, which then became Arbor Demon, mm-hmm. which was a terrible title change, but I'm over it at this point. Um, <laughs> he reviewed that movie when it played at Fright Fest as well. So, um, so I'm two for two with him right now. So we'll see um, if I can keep it going. But, he's, um, yeah, I was very, very thankful that he liked the movie. He's one of those reviewers. And if you're not familiar with his work, folks, uh, you should definitely check out his books. Um, he uh, wrote uh, some, some of the best, in my opinion, some of the best vampire fiction in the last sure. several decades. So you've got uh, Anno Dracula, Bloody Red Baron, and that whole series. And then, of course, uh, those of you on the gaming side of things, hey, recognize his Warhammer books. And uh, that's pretty much where he got his start in fiction. And just a fantastic writer and really enjoys stuff. But uh, he's a longtime reviewer and built up quite a reputation as being the kind of reviewer who will not sugarcoat should he not enjoy something. So exactly. it's always exactly. good when you get a good review from someone like that. And so, so there's a whole bunch of things I want to cover here because I like it. Like I said, before we started recording, I did bring along a guest, um, a million years ago. Um, I was, I, I've actually been an extra in two, I think of your films. Um, uh, Mrs. Brummett's garden. Right. And then uh, Nailbiter. So it's short and a feature. I think there's only two, I, as I recall, there's only two that I've, I've acted in uh, as an extra. And then I've crewed on a couple as well. Bannon's Lookout. Man, yeah, that was... was the f- is that one that Kendall Sin and I did together, I think? Yeah, and... Uh, I, recently, I just recently found the mini-DV tapes that have the original <laughs> footage on. Um, I got a box of mini DV. Yeah, I know. I had to go through and I was like, okay, so this, this is stuff probably pre 2007, I think is, is I think at that point we were shooting on um, memory cards at that point, but yeah, like I have this box of just labeled sort of labeled correctly mini DV tapes. And it's interesting because now it's like, okay, how would I get these? How would I be able to watch these? I'd have to find a, a, I'd have to find my old GL one. I don't even think I own that camera anymore, but uh, it's just been interesting to see how formats have changed over Mm -hmm. the years. Um, And, you know, I, obviously I started on 16 millimeter, but it, you know, it became very costly at that point. So I decided to switch over to digital at that point. Um, It's been years since I've shot on film. I mean, it's probably been, I think 2006 or seven was the last year that I, I shot on film. Yeah. The, uh, um, as I recall, we did it. So there were some driving scenes and of course we were actually shooting in someone's driveway and right, I got right, a, quite right. an arm workout as we were turning the light stands to try and simulate, uh, light posts going by. Exactly. And so we would just, exactly. we would turn and we would turn until the cables would wrap around the, Really, <laughs> we couldn't I mean, turn those are, things, those are the things that, that people don't realize the tricks that you're doing that just make something work on a no budget uh and we, you know it's funny because on i am lisa i mean obviously we shot the whole movie in 14 days which was a ridiculously tight schedule we were doing some of those same tricks so we were shooting there's a scene where uh chris bilsma is driving a, um his, his police car and we were doing the same tricks where we were making the lights look like they were passing and stuff like that. So a lot of those tricks that I learned um, in my twenties, I'm still, still using my forties. So, you know, those are the things you just kind of carry with you. Well, I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't realize about independent film is that 
because the you don't have the money to throw at the problem to solve it. You have to come up with a different way of fixing, you know, getting the effect that you want, whether right. that's, um, you know, uh, shooting things from a specific angle or, or doing things, you know, twisting light stands until the cable won't let you turn it anymore. There's a exactly. lot of different things you have to do to actually get the effect. And you can get really clever and cool solutions to things that people would, you know, studio might throw, you know, $150,000 at and go, exactly. it's fixed. Exactly. And you're like, I've got $10 to solve this problem. Right. right. <laughs> Shoot the whole movie for under a hundred thousand, you know, and, and that's kind of, you know, that was kind of the, the game plan with this movie was that we were, we were, we had a specific amount of money and a specific amount of time. And, and obviously the trick was, cause we had a lot of locations for this movie for it being a micro budget movie. It's like a lot of times micro budget movies are, in one location mm -hmm. or they had maybe two or three at the most. And this was like, okay, we're hopping around all over the place. So I was like, okay, I got to find locations that are with almost there. They had to be within walking distance of the other location. <laughs> so um, Lisa's bookstore that she works at was on, was like a, maybe a block away from the screen land. So we would shoot the screen land, move over to the bookstore. And then her apartment was at the high rise. that's right there on um, by the screen land armor. If you know that area. Mm -hmm. And so we were just kind of like, treating that street kind of like a, I don't know, like a big, you know, a big set, you know? So we were just like, all right, we have to move from one location to the park that we shot in was right there. Um, because I mean, we just didn't have time for company moves that were going to be a half hour. Right. Um, so those are the things that we had to kind of figure out because we just didn't, you know, didn't have the budget for it, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, there's a, despite the fact that I know it's a low budget picture and, and again, folks realize that low budget, is a very curious term for filmmaking. Right. If you're not familiar with it, um, low budget for the Hollywood world means somewhere, you know, eh, it's 10 million, a million, yeah. 5 million. 10 yeah. Million. yeah, exactly. And these are, these are uh, on the independent level. Um, low budget can mean a lot of things. Um, and, uh, a hundred thousand, 150,000, 75,000, 5,000. Uh, and I know people who have shot features for, a couple thousand bucks and large quantities of alcohol. And so. Um, that part wasn't working for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember I was like, okay, if we, if we have the scene with the, at the club and we're offering people alcohol, things could go horribly awry. <laughs> um, but we did, you know, we shot the whole thing for um, about 75,000 and it was, you know, I, I mean, everybody got paid. Everybody got paid a decent amount. And, um, and most importantly, people had a good time. We didn't overwork. We didn't make days. We didn't have days longer than 12 hours. Most days were like 10 or 11. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, people walked away liking each other, which I think is a very important thing. You know, <laughs> you, you shoot a feature film and it's kind of like summer camp. Right. But it can be a situation where if things don't go right, I mean, you know, it can get very, very tense. So luckily we walked away and everybody had a good time. And um, we're still friends. We're all working together on other projects and we can't wait to do the next one. So it's kind of like, for me, that's a win-win. If you can walk away from a feature film and still uh, have great rela relationships with everybody. So, yeah, I, uh, the, one of the things that I've always found in my experience with making films is that if it's not fun, you're working with the wrong people. And, I 100% agree. And I got to the, I had gotten to the point where I really shouldn't have to work with anyone I didn't want to, which was really nice. Yeah. Um, 
And then, of course, now that I haven't made films for five years, it'll pretty much be, would you come play with me, please? <laughs> well, that's, I, tell, I tell film students that they always are asking me what advice they, you know, that I have for them. Besides, I'm telling a good story. I always tell people, find people you enjoy working with and growing with because it's, you know, you obviously, if you keep making movies, you're going to be growing. You're going to be getting, you know, more experienced. Um, find the people that you enjoy spending time with because yeah, it's one rotten apple can ruin the entire experience for people. So, um, and that's one reason why I've worked with a lot of the same people over the last 15 years. So yeah, it's really, it's always really nice to see Hanu's name up there. Yeah. Um, And he's got a lot of experience doing these very short features. Like he's done a couple for Steve Balderson where he's had like 10 days or 11 days to make a feature. So it it was important to have him on board and, and know, I'm like, look, dude, we have, we have this amount of time to make this movie. And um, obviously you're always going to go back and try to get inserts and stuff uh, down the line. Nothing that's going to require the whole crew, but um, to get the broad strokes of everything in that 14 day span, you know, and know that, look, we have to light quickly, but we have to also make it look good, you know, and that, that's, that's tricky. You know, it's, it, you got to find that happy medium, you know, you're not, you're not working on a Fincher schedule where you can shoot 60 takes uh, of every single angle and, and, you know, it, and it's still okay. You know, I don't have, right. I wish I could do that, but I can't, I can't, can't do that. So, um, and he had shot um, the family film with me um, a couple years prior and it was a similar schedule. I mean, Nailbiter, when we shot that thing, it was, it was so stretched over a couple of years that I honestly don't remember how many days we shot. It was just so, it felt like an endless, endless movie making experience. But um, I had done Enclosure in South Carolina uh, in 12 days, which was insane. And um, so I kind of like felt a little bit more acclimated maybe to Mm. doing a short schedule. And so when we did the family film in 2016, 17, it was like maybe total 16 days, maybe, which was still very tight, especially when you're working with kids and animals and such. Mm -hmm. That can be very... um, very quick. Um, but then we had 14 for I am Lisa and I was, it, it felt, it actually felt pretty, it felt good. It felt right. Um, but again, a lot of that was Tony Ontiveros was on my crew and he was also, he was UPMing and he provided the uh, grip truck, but he and I worked on that schedule for a good month and a half in advance. And we were constantly, cause it's a Rubik's cube. And there were, there were days where it was going to be 105 without the heat index it was just going to be so ridiculously hot and they were like basically saying it was a heat advisory they're like if you don't have to be outside don't be outside and i'm looking at the schedule and i'm like we are outside that entire day and i was like there wasn't any way we could get around it because if you pull one day it turns into this domino effect where all of a sudden i lose a location i can't get the location for x you know there are very specific things that we had to have fall into place so we had to power through and on those days and just be safe and provide w- lots of water for everybody. And, and we had a house that we were close to in the woods so that they could stay in. People would stay in there in the air conditioning if they weren't working on the, on the, the shots and stuff. So, um, I mean, those are the things that you, you, you don't have the luxury of moving your schedule around. You just have to kind of power through and, um, try to be as safe as possible. Yeah. The, um, uh... Oh God. 12, 14, something ridiculously long ago um, when I worked on on the film Fetch or American Maniacs. Again, you same problem with, it had a really great title and then they changed it. Yeah, and that was yeah. that time period where 
if you had an A title, it made a difference. But now everything's right. nothing is that way anymore. <laughs> they, they haven't done the alpha stacking <laughs> right. like they used to. And I remember when they they pushed that title on me for enclosure as Arbor Demon, and I'd spent all this time. I spent years working on that movie. Only to have that happen. Luckily, they didn't change the edit. That was like the saving grace. But to change the title and um, to something so hokey, I was just like, I, you know, I, I, I ended up just kind of accepting it. But um, it was like the next year after that that alpha stacking wasn't even a thing anymore. And I'm like, right. well, okay, so that was just a couple years trend now, you know. And so um, I think American Maniacs, I think, might have had the same problem. It, it, it pretty much did. I think, you know, there was a period where. It, you know, and that and and rigged turned into Fight Night, yeah, and yeah. some really great films that um, had really great titles. Now, okay, let me qualify that. I'm not going to say that Fetch is a really great film. I had a great time working on it. A fantastic cast and crew. We had a wonderful time. But we also did it in 20 below weather. Yeah. <clears throat> great production value. All this wonderful snow on the ground that that wasn't produced right. artificially. Exactly. It looks looks gorgeous, but you're all huddled together for warmth so you don't like lose a limb in the middle of the shoot. So yeah, they can, it can really, and again, same, same issue or basically it was like you had to get out these shots done and we lost, we almost lost an actress, um, not to the weather, she had to go back home. Um, and there was question whether or not it just going to completely derail the entire schedule. Right. And, uh, uh, to the point where we were like, are we going to be able to finish the film? And everything worked out. But it's it when you don't have a lot of money to, to you can't just sit there and go. You can't shut down production for six months no. and then come back no. because no. I mean, you, you, it's one of those things where yeah, like one decision. People don't realize it's like how delicate it is to make an independent film because it's funny because it's like if you do any corporate film work, it's funny because it's always like they can just throw money at any situation. And with an independent film, you're so you have to be so careful and uh, organized because one bad decision could cost the production a couple thousand dollars, which might cause the production to fall apart. Like those are the things that you just have to kind of. Uh, and I think people when they watch the movies, like low budget movies, they just they don't think of that maybe mm-hmm. of all the all those close calls that the filmmaker had to go through to get the, the film made, you know, and and. Uh, we know because we've, we've done it before, but, um, and that's why whenever I'm watching a low budget movie, I'm looking at it through a different lens. I'm not looking at through, I'm not watching Godzilla versus Kong through the same lens and I'm watching an independent film. Right. Right. So, um, and it's interesting because our reviews, um, we're 88% right now on Rotten Tomatoes, which I'm really proud of, but obviously there are people who are going to come at us with, you didn't go full on with the werewolf effects and it's like well we couldn't you know we just couldn't afford to do that you know and i'm not sure the movie needed that to be honest with you i think it where we did it we we kept it subtle you can still see the actor performing under the makeup um it's like be careful what you wish for because it's like even an underworld movie with 60 million dollars can't get werewolf effects right you know what i'm saying like right it, it depends it's like there's only been like two movies or three movies that really gotten it right, which is like, you know, American Werewolf, The Howling, uh, Dog Soldiers, maybe Dog like soldiers, yeah. those are the movies that got it right. But but I mean, we had, you know, like I said, seventy five thousand dollars in 14 days. We just had to kind of make decisions like we're not going to go turn her into a full werewolf. We can't do it. So we just try to keep it, you know, within the story. I think it works perfectly. So I, I just I, you know, we went more with like. The Jack Nicholson wolf approach, I think, mm-hmm. more than American Werewolf. So, 
Well, and I think that for all the history of the werewolf movie, I mean, you think of the classic movie monsters, where right. Wolfman's back there. I mean, he's right. uh, one of the, but the number of werewolf films that you actually see, they're just, right. they, they don't have anywhere near the, the frequency of like a vampire movie. I mean, okay, right. They, right. they have more than most mummy movies. This is true, but, um, you know, there's, there's the difference between making a shambling bandage clad corpse be particularly scary. Uh, it's a challenge. But I mean, the werewolf movies, the really, really great ones have always had that sense of, you know, unleash, obviously unleashing the beast within, uh, right. usually to tragic and violent effect. And, and this film, without being spoilery for the folks who haven't seen it yet, um, you know, it's, it definitely carries that same sense of, of you know, releasing rage right. at the right time. Right. Um, right. But also the dangers of the beast inside and that sort of thing. And so, but it's, yeah. um, there's, there's something to be said for a film where there, if you were to pull, if you were to pull all the supernatural elements out, you still have a story. Right. And that's not something you can say about a lot of films, which is always really, really nice. Right. Um, right. And it, Shows the, you know, the, the, well, and again, I, I feel, I feel so weird with this film because I, it's been such a long time since I've sat down and watched a film full of all these people that I know. Exactly. Well, <laughs> and the thing is that like, so. Perspective is uh, wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, like, so, so just to give you a little bit of insight, um, the writer, Eric Winkler actually cast his son, uh, Owen in, uh, Belong to Us years ago. And he was pitching me this movie while we were shooting the family movie, which I was like, at the time, I'm like, I'm shooting a family movie and I really, really want to make a scary movie after that. So it was appealing. And then he was able to, uh, through various means, um, put some money together for the movie. Um, the original screenplay, all the villains were men. And so um, through various table reads and rewrites i we we kind of came to the conclusion that all the all the women all the all the villains should be women or most of them obviously you got chris bilsma in there as the one as the one male villain but i felt like it would be more interesting to have like the sheriff was a man it was originally going to be scott cordis and then we decided to go with manon halliburton and i felt like that all of a sudden it becomes this very female driven movie on both sides you've got the 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 you know, the protagonists that are female and you've got the antagonists that are female. And I thought that was way more interesting. Mm -hmm. And it might be why the movie's seemingly doing, uh, it, it seems to be doing pretty well. And I think that's part of why it's been successful. So. It makes sense to me. I mean, there's yeah. the dynamic. So in a story like this, again, trying not to be too spoilery here, small town, sure. small town, um, the small the, the the bad small town sheriff or police officer is not right. new to the horror genre, but a lot of times it is played by a man, and it is very much. And there's a certain power dynamic that goes with that. Right. That it does shift when you make that character a woman. When you make the, so many of the the, the uh, other antagonistic characters, um, I could see it being a, having a very different vibe if they right. had all been men, or or even just more men in those roles. Um, and I think that probably plays very much into um, 
I, I, that probably does play into how people are reacting to it because it's something they don't necessarily see as a regular, you know, normally in this kind of movie. Right. I mean, it, you know, the movie, like you got movies like, obviously I don't want to, this is an extreme version of that, but like I spit in your grave or, you know, those particular movies, it's always male antagonists, you know, uh, doing these horrible things. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I felt like it was just from a, just from a, directing standpoint i was more interested in the movie with an all-female mostly all-female cast it just was way more interesting to me um so it was funny because it was it was like this very gradual process like i brought manon in for a table read and i'm like she's the character then we would bring in a different actress to read what was once a male role and i'm like that person's the you know mm-hmm. so all of a sudden it was like we had this pretty much entirely female cast with the exception of of, uh, of chris's character and we needed that. We needed that character to be a man. So it was very. I think. It, I think it worked out quite well. Well, and it also feels like it, the process ended up being a lot more, as you know, you, as you built the the cast and had the read, it dealt more organically than just sitting there and going, "This is what absolutely, we need to do." So, absolutely. And Eric was great about that. He he kind of let us, um, you know, whenever we were doing the table reads. An actor would say, well, this sounds better if I say it this way. And I'd be like, he'd be like, all right, cool. Let's write that down. You know? And so he wasn't like, I always tell people like, you're not, you're not David Mamet. You got to be flexible with your dialogue, especially on an indie, indie film level. Um, and I think that he was very, he was great about that. He was very good at collaborating. And, and um, all the actors were like Kristen Veganos, who plays Lisa in the movie. She, uh, um, she never basically reading each other's minds the entire time we were filming the movie. And um, she was great. Just absolutely great. I, I would love to work with her again. Yeah, I spent, um, right, I, when I was making films, writing my own scripts. And it was always the conversation I had with my actors. It was like, okay, here's my dialogue. I'm not precious with it. Right. You say the words if you, if you, you know. And there was never a script where I didn't sit there and go, they said that so much better. And I am a terrible writer because I should have thought of that to say it. You know, I should have written it that way in the first place. Um, but uh, very, very lucky to have a lot of really talented people to play with me and to make my words sound better, which is always nice. I mean, I think that's part of the process. And I think that I, I, when you don't allow actors to do that, they feel like they're boxed in. They mm-hmm. feel like they don't have any, any room to really perform. And I think that it can ultimately hurt the final product. I once had an argument with a director uh, acting for them. We were shooting on the sixth floor of a warehouse down in the West Bottoms in Kansas City. And the bathroom was on the first floor. And we were shooting up on the sixth floor. And so there would be this periodic, right! Everybody's got to traipse down to the bathroom. And he had a line that I was just like, this line doesn't work. And we were riding in the elevator. I'm going, this line doesn't work. And he's like, say the line. I'm going to say the line. I'm just telling you this line doesn't work because it's a phrase that never, doesn't exist. Um, it's a phrase that's almost like a phrase that exists, um, right. but it's not quite right. And so we were just like back and forth. And he finally, you know, he let me, he let me do it the way I thought it should be done. And he chose the take he liked because that's what the director does. And, yeah. uh, you know, you just, you, you go with that because it, it's whatever works for the film. Um, but sometimes it's, Sometimes the words aren't right. Sometimes they're exactly what you need. Yeah, exactly. I think that, and a good actor, I mean, I always make it very clear from the, from the get go that 
I'm not married to the dialogue. If there's a way to get the same information across in a different way, that sounds more natural, then let's go that route. Um, I'm always like that. Um, and you know, a, a really good actor will, I just, I like to open the lines of communication with the actors and make sure they feel comfortable making those suggestions. Obviously, if the buck does stop with me, obviously, if it comes to the, I don't think this shot should go this way or this way, that's a little different story. But like, when it comes to like, collaborating with the performance and the dialogue and all that stuff, I, th I feel like keeping it flexible with the actors, I think helps the final product mm -hmm. um, as much as you can, you know? We've had a lot of experience with this. This is what, how many features is this? Uh, five at this point. Um, and then a multitude of short films that mm -hmm. I keep making short films. And the thing is that like, I, I've had a lot of people um, ask me, why are you still making short films if you're doing features? And I'm just like, well, first of all, it takes so long to get a feature off the ground. It takes years. And sometimes it, it, more than that. And sometimes you spend a, a year on a, on a, a project and it gets stuck, you mm -hmm. know, and it doesn't happen. So it's like the short films for me are my way of not losing touch with why I got into the filmmaking business in the first place. Um, so it's healthy for me to keep making short films because I feel like some stories shouldn't be longer than 10 minutes. Really? Like, I think there's sometimes a movie where you're like, Oh, well, that would have made a great short film, but instead it was 90 minutes. So, and I'm guilty of it too, you know? And so I feel like I, I've gotten, um, I produced a short film in, in uh, was it July or June. It was during the, it was like really early in the pandemic. I produced a short film for Ty Jones called Crockpot that's on the festival circuit. Actually, it's playing at Panic, Fe Panic Fest right now at, at the Screenland. Um, and then I directed one in December called Distance, which is, Right now, it's more of a sci-fi movie, um, but they, there's a lot of visual effects and stuff that's, that's got to be done with it. And um, yeah, and then I did a comedy short a few, uh, about a week and a half ago, a, a three-day short film that we shot. Um, Hahnemann came into town and DP'd it for me and stuff. So I'm trying to, you know, but all while I'm doing these short films, I'm also working on several feature films at the same time. And you're kind of like in the back of your mind, you're like, you know, these short films keep me creatively going in case for some reason this feature doesn't happen. <laughs> so you just have to kind of, and that's why I keep doing them. And people ask me why I keep doing it. I'm like, I just, I have to. Because um, yeah, the features is, you know, we, we uh, Michelle Davidson and I have been working on one for three or four years now that's still, you know, it was a, it was a feature film script and then it became more of a TV series that we've got, and it's just taking a lot of time and then you hit the pandemic and production just stopped and um we had optioned that particular script and it was being written into a tv series and it was it, we had a we had a, a showrunner and things just kind of stopped and that was just you know and that was a point where i'm like all right i'm gonna go back out and make some short films and try to stay keep those creative juices going and luckily I and Lisa was still in post around that time. So I had plenty of things to work on. Um, but I probably will always make short films. I mean, you know, unless somebody hands me a big boatload of money and I'm working on something, a, one specific project for three or four years, I will always be making short films probably in between projects. Yeah. The one thing I can say for all the fact I wasn't really, I haven't, I haven't been making films. I mean, I think I, I the, the one night stand competition here in Kansas City, the oldest timed sure. film festival. 
Um, folks, we do it in 10 hours, not 24 hours, all that extra time. Um, right. I've worked on, I think, in the last five years, I think I've worked on four of those. So I've kept, I've kept my hand in a little bit, but in terms of writing and directing my own stuff, I haven't stopped writing things, though. So there's this little pile that keeps growing of the, you know. That's good. That's good. <sighs> Got to get back into it. It's driving me nuts. <laughs> you know, and I think things are starting to get look better out there. And so maybe, you know, jump back in as soon yeah. as you can. Well, and, and, and there's, there's a cool thing about working with, again, we've talked about this before, working with the folks that you, you get comfortable with and you learn how to, how to have that shorthand on set. Uh, Hanuman Brown Eagle, we keep calling, saying Hanu without actually saying who he is. Um, I had the good fortune of working with him. He shot a film for me, uh, uh, nine and a half weeks, which was probably, gosh, 13, 12, 13 years ago as well, um, and uh, which we shot over a couple of, couple of days, a couple of nights, really. Um, and, but Hanu's got a very, Hanu's got a visual texture to his films. There's a look that I, you know, if I can, uh, you know, even without seeing his name on this, it was like, ah, that's Hanu. And, and that's actually just, it was a really nice thing to sit there again, looking at the, the cast and crew on this and seeing all these names. One of the things that I think that people don't necessarily realize outside of the market, Kansas city has a ton of talent here. Um, some really fantastic actors, some really, really hardworking crews. And it was just like watching this, this, you know, kind of like cavalcade of all stars as this, as the credits are rolling. And I'm like, yep. Okay, sure. Okay. Sure. Yeah, okay, great. That's fantastic. Oh, cool. I know them. Uh, and seeing Tony Ontiveros' name and, and, and so many of the actors involved in this. And it's always really, really nice to sit there and see that because, it, you know, there's that idea that, you know, there isn't, you know, you you get stuff made by the studios. You get stuff made in New York. You get stuff made in, in, in Atlanta. You get stuff made in California. But people don't think about Kansas City and the Midwest as, as where this stuff comes from. And you've gotten, I mean, what, okay, so you shot Arbor Day. So what, three of the features? Three of the features are all shot in the, in the KC market? Uh, Arbor Demon was South Carolina with a completely different crew, which then funneled into that TV show, The Inspectors, because mm. producer on uh, uh, Arbor Demon, one of the producers, Grant Fitch, became a producer on The Inspectors, which then Michelle Davidson and I started writing for. And that was a CBS kids show. It was on every Saturday morning. It, they did four seasons of it. Um, I directed a couple episodes of that. And that was interesting because it was like I had that. I worked with those specific uh, crew members on Arbor Demon, I can't even say the title, Enclosure, and then they showed up on the inspectors because it was all Charleston, South Carolina. It was really cool. Um, and then here in town, I, I, you know, obviously I had my crew for Nailbiter, which is the same, basically the same crew for Belong to Us and I Am Lisa. Obviously there's there's some new people that have gotten involved since then, but like like Hanu and, and Tony Ontiveros, a lot of the same uh, major players. And um yeah, and and you know, and then recently I've done a couple short films with Nicholas James, mm -hmm. uh, local DP. He shot um, a short film called Fused, which I've been uh, circulating around, and actually it's been on Bloody Disgusting TV uh, for the last couple weeks. And then he did a short film for me called Spiritual Practice, and then he shot my most recent short film, Distance, which I'm still working on the post on. So 
again, like, right. But Nick worked, Nick was the DP and then I, you know, Tony worked on it and various other people. Um, so yeah, I like, I, I work with a lot of the same people because there's a good, almost like psychic connection, psychic energy about it. You know, like when we were, we all kind of read each other's minds and there's, there's a workflow that just kind of happens naturally. Um, and I think a lot of that is just working with the same people for over a decade. You start kind of, you, you have a shorthand, which I think is important, especially, especially if you have a very tight schedule. It's one of those things where if you're still trying to prove yourself to a crew, especially as a director, if it's a crew that's been working together for years and you come in as a new director, um, that can be, that can be daunting. That can be intimidating. So, um, so I think it's, I think it's been very beneficial in creating these movies locally on a shoestring budget on a short schedule to kind of have the same, at least mostly the same crew, because again, like, it's like, everybody's just kind of finishing each other's sentences, you know? And and Mm -hmm. so there's, there's, it's, it's great. Yeah. I've had the, had the good fortune to have that kind of relationship with, with a lot of crews I've worked with the uh, music video. I mean, several years ago where uh, Todd Norris. Because there's so many, there's so many, and Todd Norris is fantastic. The things that like, there's so many uh, talented people here and there are so many challenges in making a movie. So they always say, you know, one of the biggest things about directing is casting. I also believe that one of the biggest things in directing is crewing and uh, picking the right crew for your movie too, because you're going to run into so many situations, whether it's the weather or somebody's car doesn't start anymore. I know we ran into that issue with belong to us where we had the main car for the family. And that thing just was toast. It was like, a, it was a day. It was like 105 degrees. And I had this driving scene that I had to shoot, but we ended up having to rewrite and come up with a, a new way of getting that same information to the audience without having a driving scene. And, um, and those are the things that those are the curveballs you get thrown at you. And so it's good to have a really solid crew behind you and good cast, because then, those problems that arise, you can kind of maneuver around them easier. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the ability to have sit there and just look at someone and go, okay, this is what I'm thinking. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah I got it. And they're, yeah. and they do. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it's really, really nice. So, yeah. so what is next? I mean, okay. So you've got, I am Lisa's out there in the world. Now yeah. I, I went to your IMDB page cause you always do. Yeah. And I see another nail biter movie. Yeah, and that one has been, man, I tell you, that has been, oh boy, that's a touchy subject with me because it's been so difficult to try to get that movie off the ground. Because it was supposed to be, a, it's supposed to be a trilogy, right? Isn't that the plan? Well, and I wanted it to be, and it's just one of those things where now there, there's part of you that just kind of wonders if anybody cares. I'll be honest with you. But like, it's one of those things where you just have to kind of decide, uh, I will do it eventually, but will it be the same characters? Will it be a completely right. different story set in the same kind of concept? You know, because uh, the concept for me of that whole story was was what got me interested in, in the idea of these creatures that are affected by storms and it's very Midwestern and it has a very like, so I will go back to that at some point. But like I was planning on doing it and then I and Lisa happened and I was just like, all right, I could take this movie that I'm really excited about that, you know, also has werewolves um, that has financing you know so it's one of those things where you're like all right i can do this movie and i can do it right now or i can spend the next year and a half trying to raise money for this movie and you just have to be honest with yourself and so i've got right now i've got um 
a, a ghost story that I'm shooting in June. Um, it's going to be a 12 day shoot mainly because it's only like three locations. It's going to be, it's a feature and I've written it uh, for Sarah McGuire mm-hmm. and we're going to just shoot very low budget uh, and make this happen. Um, it's a very interesting script. It's doesn't have, it, it, it doesn't have a ton of humor. It's a very serious story. Um, and I think Sarah has been um, just great to work with. I've now worked with her on like three or four projects in the last two years. And, uh, but I wanted to make a feature film that just focuses so- solely on her. And so we're, we're looking at shooting that in June. Um, God willing. I'm always like scared to bring it up because you just never know right. what could happen. Um, and then I'm working on, there is an I Am Lisa 2 that's being discussed because the distributor is very happy with how this first one has been doing. We've sold 4,000 copies of the movie in three weeks at Walmart, so nationwide. So they're very pleased with that. And, and um, so uh, there'll probably be a sequel at some, uh, at some point soon, hopefully. And then um, I've got one that I've been working on with Michelle Davidson that's, that's constantly... You know, it's a that one is more of a uh, supernatural love story, um, mm. very dark. It's a boy and his imaginary friend, and his imaginary friend becomes very jealous that he's starting to fall in love with a real a real girl, mm-hmm. and so there there's this like love triangle thing. And um, we've been working on that now for, I think it's been longer than three or four years. It's been like five or six at this point, because um, I think that was the first project we started after we finished Enclosure. So. Um, so yeah, I've got several things I'm working on at this, at, you know, simultaneously. So, but nothing with exploding cars or car chases, which makes me very disappointed. Because <laughs> I secretly just want to do something with a car chase, <laughs> but I know that you know you have to be realistic, and you know, someday I will do that. Having, uh, let's see, I've directed one car chase, um, and I was in a car chase. I just gotten my old Saturn. Um, I don't know if you remember this film or not. Um, and now I'm going to draw a blank on the name of the thing, but, um, it was a half parody of movies. Um, but also a drama about an aging, an aging actor played by me. Um, and the young up and comer who was displacing him in the box office. And we got to do a car chase through the West bottoms, um, with my brand new car that I had just bought, um, yeah. zipping around the back alleys of the West Bottoms at probably like 35 miles an hour. Um, wasn't, you know, wasn't terribly exciting when we were doing it, but they cranked yeah. it up and made it look prettier. Um, and then, uh, so that was fun. But I, um, doing a car chase with vintage cars for the music video, video I directed. I remember uh, that. Um, and, uh, that was that was all kinds of fun because getting watching yeah. those is whip around a corner, uh, but I have not done the explosion thing either. And uh, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where I it's like if it happens to end up in a script, great. But like I'm not going to write a script specifically for that purpose. So it's like <laughs> the last few. And I have another uh, movie I'm working on called Short Leash, which is kind of I would best describe. I'm, I'm actually developing it with a company out of out of L.A. and it's best described as a home invasion movie where one of the main characters is a killer dog. So it's like, I would say Cujo meets sure. panic room. So they break in. These people are trying to steal the dog and um, 
There is actually some car crashes in it. So I'm excited about it. We can get it off the ground. <laughs> yeah. You think about the stuff that you want to do. It's like, yeah. No, no one. Well, and that's, that's, how, that's how I got into making films in the first place is that nobody was making film nor musicals for a lot of reasons. But uh, I really wanted I really wanted someone to make one, and no one was making one. So I was like, "I'll make one," and there you go. You have your niche. You have your niche. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first thing. The first three or four films. That's exactly what I did. So I suppose yeah, I did. Have my, I moved yeah, away heard, from that. Hanover singing. That's a, that's that's amazing. Well, you know the the funny thing is is that is that this break away from my own making films is it's been long enough that it's almost been like a reset where it's like, I feel like I'm going back to the beginning. Right. Yeah. Which is not a cool place to place to feel after making it was just made short films for a decade and then just crashed to a halt. But the next one I've got in mind is, is going back and it's bringing Kurt in and it's the yeah. same kind of thing where just, just as I did then Kurt was sort of my, author surrogate and he, that's exactly what he's doing uh in in this one as well because essentially um just like uh no one was going to necessarily buy me as a film noir guy a film noir uh hero back in the day um you know put a put a hat and and tie on Kurt and he looks great yeah. uh <laughs> and here I get to basically have because I originally wrote the script for myself and then I'm like yeah I can't do that yeah. um but what are you gonna do? But yeah, I'm excited about excited, excited about getting back into it. Um, but it's interesting, like I said, the stuff that you the stuff that you hold on to. Um, again, yeah, you know, no, that's great. So I wore this for it was one one night of shooting, and I don't believe I think I show up in a crowd scene. One of my hands made it into nail biter. Um, but this uh, is the, the finale of the movie where it's we shot 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 it in Leewood and it was one of those I remember we we I somehow convinced all the neighbors in that in that neighborhood to <laughs> go along with this um without permits because I remember I went to Leewood and I was like hey I went to the city of Leewood I'm like hey this is what we're doing and they're like so it's a rock concert I'm like no no it's it's a, we're making a movie and like, but it's a rock concert I'm like no 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 that not at all we will have lights but you know so like I just finally gave up and just went to every neighbor and talk to them and they were like right. that's cool and then most of them i mean obviously we were doing overnights which were kind of you know 7 p.m to 7 a.m that's kind of risky in a in a, a neighborhood you know and, and i just remember we didn't have any issues at all it was great i remember the, the, we had a cop stop by at one point and i'm like oh no we're done and he goes oh no hey could you just move your cables a little bit out of the road that's all i had to say i was like wow all right so we so we just got all the way through it and um most of it, most of the neighbors, you know, they, they sat out in their lawns and lawn chairs and watched us, you know, shoot, which can be very boring. If you're just right. never watched a movie being made, it can be very tedious. Um, if you're an onlooker about an hour in, you're like, nothing is happening. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, oh yeah, it's hours of prep for 10 minutes of shooting. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, my, my first experience with, with how people react to filmmaking and, and the odd ways is I was the uh, assistant director on a, on a shoot and I called up, we were actually going to be firing uh, guns, you know, blanks, blank firing guns out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, but I called up the, the closest uh, police 
precinct and I said, hey, guys, we're doing this. And this was, I don't know, probably 20, 20, 20 minutes out of KC. And they were like, okay. And I was like, that's it? Yeah. That, okay. Thanks for telling us. And I'm like, so this is a, this is a way to get away with a murder. <laughs> there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a script in here. Hmm. Right. <laughs> oh, it's, you know, um, I, I think my first, my first filmmaking experience, I was 17 and I worked on, um, that movie election with Matthew Broderick. Mm -hmm. and it was shot in Omaha. And, and, um, I remember just thinking, Oh my God, this is so slow. Why does it take so long for them just to turn the camera around? <laughs> you know? And it wasn't until, you know, I, years later I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So, yeah, no, I mean, it's funny because we had onlookers. There's a scene in, in I and Lisa that's set in a park and it has Chris Bilsma and it's his, it's his final scene in the movie. And we had people watching uh, while we were shooting in, in, I think, Macon Park, Macon Park. Um, and uh, I'm like, I literally said, I said, these people, they're going to be bored in 45 minutes and they're going to leave. And that's exactly what happened. It was like an hour and a half until we actually got the shot. Cause it was like, we had one chance to get, cause we had one neck bladder for the effect. And it was like, we had to make sure everything was perfect. We had to get the camera lighting, everything perfect. It started raining. So we had to kind of wait for the rain and yeah, it was a good hour and a half, two hours before we actually got the one shot. Cause it right. was a one take thing. And at that point, all the onlookers were gone. They were like, eh. <laughs> eh. So, um, so yeah, but it's never not boring if you're directing. It's like one of those things where it's like, if you're directing or you're, if you're working on the crew, it is not boring. In fact, you're like, oh, I'm running out of time or right. just, you know, whatever. And, and so um, it's interesting how that, that perspective shifts if you're just watching, you know, as an onlooker. Oh yeah. When you're, when you're inside it, it definitely makes a difference. Um, yeah. More than one person said, can I, can I come out and watch your shoot? Yeah, sure. You can, if you want. Yeah. But yeah. you're not going to have as good time as you think you are. Exactly. <laughs> well, Patrick, thank you so much for thank joining you. us for this. I really, really appreciate it. And it's been yeah. great to talk to you. I, uh, uh, we do have, of course, again, I am Lisa. You should check this out. It is out there in the world. And it is. Um, That's my favorite of the posters, by the way. Oh, is it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> It put out like there's like three different posters for the movie, and that's my personal favorite. Yeah, that's uh, I, I would agree. That's that's probably my personal favorite as well. The let's see, it's on um, so it's it actually is it I am wait, no, it's uh, uh, Amazon Prime, it's on um, oh man, it's on iTunes or Apple TV, Amazon, um, it's in the red on Redbox on demand, and still you can still rent the DVD out of the Redbox so that. The way they did the release, the red, the DVD was in Redbox starting in January, and then all of the digital platforms and DVD and Blu-ray were, were March 16th. So the DVD is on sale at Walmart um, on the shelf, and I think you can order the Blu-ray online. And um, um, yeah, and then it's, you know, Fandango's got it, um, Google Play's got it, so all of, all of those uh, digital platforms have got it right now, so... Well, folks, you should definitely check it out, if nothing else, because it's a werewolf movie. We don't get enough of those. And right. like I said, I had, a, I had a good time watching it. And uh, there, what other... And that's, all I, and that's all we can ask. That's exactly. All we, that's what we want. Exactly. And, uh, you know, on a personal level, like I said, I know a lot of the people involved, and they're really cool people. So go support the people I like. There you go. There's reason enough. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you.
And there is the newest addition to the studio, Mr. Shakespeare. We unboxed him yesterday. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here for this one. And uh, we do invite you to subscribe to our newsletter, catch us on all the socials, and leave your thoughts and comments. If you've got suggestions for guests that we can have here live from the bunker, whether it's me or Mr. Harvey sitting in first chair, you can send us an email live from the bunker at sci fi for mecom or you can catch us at anywhere on the web, just about. Uh, we are uh, usually broadcasting to Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube, and we do try, uh, we do like to have uh, 100 followers on Twitch. That's the new goal right now. We're at 90 at the moment, uh, so we're almost there, and then we can start up our watch parties again. Uh, some technical issues today. Obviously, we've had some, some issues there in the show, uh, so tonight's edition of Salacious Crumbs will be a day late. We're going to do some maintenance on the computers and uh, see if we can pin down a couple of bugs here. And so Salacious Crumbs will be tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central, here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. And we do hope you join us for that with all the latest Star Wars news. And that'll be tomorrow night. And then Thursday night, as the regular schedule has it, we will have the Ranker Pit with discussion and speculation and idle chatter with regard to Star Wars. So join us for that. And then uh, Saturday, we'll have a new Foreign Bodies at 1 p.m. Eastern. So full week this week. Tomorrow on the program, author Brian Leland will be here to talk about his new book, We'll do this all again in 23 hours. In the meantime, just remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.